to the 76th episode of the podcast, F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than food and frightening film fanatics. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer, heavy spoilers ahead. Turn back now if you haven't seen these movies. This week we're covering one of the most important horror, franchi- horror franchises, and that is Halloween. When you think of the big three in horror, you usually think of Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th, Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street, and Michael Myers from Halloween. There are currently 11 movies in the Halloween franchise with two more on the way. And since there are so many movies to cover here, this episode is going to be pretty long. So let's get down to it. Uh, Let's go over the films. So the first one is Halloween from 1978, directed by John Carpenter, written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, produced by Deborah Hill, and she worked with him on a number of projects throughout the years, and they were a couple for a number of years. She sadly passed away in 2005. They did Halloween 1, 2, 3, The Fog, Escape from New York, and a lot of other stuff. First Halloween starred Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. Donald Pleasance as Dr. Sam Loomis, P.J. Souls as Linda, Nancy Loomis as Andy. The production, I'm sorry, Annie. The production companies were Compass International and Falcon International. Music is by Carpenter, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. The budget on this movie was only three hundred to three hundred twenty-five thousand, which is nothing now, and it later. Got box office returns of 60 to 70 million, so it was definitely a hit. Halloween 2 from 1981, so three years later. Again, written, produced, and directed by, sorry, written and produced by Carpenter and Hill, directed by Rick Rosenthal. The production company is Dina De Laurentiis, and we talked about him back when we talked about Hannibal, Silence of the Lambs franchise, and the Evil Dead franchise. He has produced more than 500 films. Music is again by Carpenter and Alan Howarth, H-O-W-A-R-T-H. Budget on this movie was $2.5 million. Box office was $25.5 million. The third movie is Halloween 3, Season of the Witch from 1982. So one year later, directed and written by Tommy Lee Wallace, produced again by Carpenter and Hill, Starring Tom Atkins as Dr. Dan Chalice. And you'll recognize him from tons of stuff. Creep Show, Night of the Creeps, Escape from New York, Lethal Weapon, etc. Uh, also, Stacy Nelkin as Ellie. Dan O'Harahay as Canal Cochran. Nancy Keys as Linda. Production company, again, was Dina De Laurentiis and Deborah Hill Productions. Budget was $2.5 million. Box office was $14.4 million. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers from 1990, no, 1988, so six years later. This is the end of the Carpenter and Hill involvement in the franchise for a while. It was directed by Dwight Little, screenplay by Danny Lipsis, Larry Ratner, and Benjamin Rutner. And also Alan McElroy, produced by Paul Freeman, starring again Donald Pleasance, Ellie Cornell as Rachel Carruthers, Danielle Harris as Jamie Lloyd, 
Michael Pataki as Dr. Hoffman, and Bo Starr as Sheriff Ben Meeker. The production company was Trocus International again. Music again by Alan Howarth and budget of $6 million, box office of $17.8 million. Next up, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers from 1989, so one year later, directed by Dominique Otheron-Gerard, screenplay by him, Michael Jacobs, and Shem Bitterman, produced by Ramsey Thomas, production company, Magnus Pictures, Trancus International. Again, starring... Donald Pleasance, Daniel Harris, Ellie Cornell, and Bo Starr. Music again by Alan Howarth. Budget of $6 million, Box office of $11.6 million. And Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. So you'll notice that the three after Season of the Witch were Return, Revenge, and Curse. So The Curse of Michael Myers came out in 1995. So six years later... Directed by Joe Sapel, screenplay by Daniel Ferens, Paul Freeman returns to direct this and the next two movies, starring Donald Pleasance, Paul Rudd, Marianne Hagen, and Mitch Ryan. Production companies were Miramax, Nightfall, and Trancas. Again, music by Alan Horwath, and budget of five million dollars, box office of fifteen point one million. The seventh movie is Halloween H2O, 20 years later, or just, uh, so the H2O is not water, the H2O stands for 20. So, uh, but people refer to it all sorts of different ways. It came out in 1998, so that's three years later, directed by Steve Miner. We talked about him previously when we did the Friday the 13th franchise. Screenplay by Roger Zappia and Matt Goldberg, produced by again by Paul Freeman. Returning is Jamie Lee Curtis, also starring Alan Arkin, Michelle Williams, Josh Harnett, LL Cool J, and Joseph Gordon Levitt. Janet Lee also makes a cameo as Nora. I'm sorry, Norma. Of course, Lee was Marion Crane in the original Psycho movie, and Lee is Jamie Lee Curtis's in real life mother. So that was fun. Uh, Kevin Stevens, Kevin Williamson, who did Scream, is uncredited, but he rewrote a couple of the scenes here. Some music from Scream is also used. Production companies this time are Dimension Films, Nightfall Films, Trancus International. Music is by John Ottman and Marco Beltrami, who we've talked about several times before. He did the music for Scream. Blade 2, The Omen, Underworld, etc. Budget on this movie was $17 million, box office of $75 million. The eighth movie, called Halloween Resurrection, from 2002, so four years later, directed again by Rick Rosenthal, produced again by Paul Freeman. He was previously director. Screenplay by Larry Brand and Sean Hood. Jamie Lee Curtis is back for a hot second. Starring Busta Rhymes as Freddie, Bianca, I'm going to mess up her last name, it's K-A-G-I-L-I-C-H as Sarah, Tyra Banks as Nora, Thomas Ian Nicholas as Bill, Sean Patrick Thomas as Rudy, and Katie Sackoff as Jen, 
And of course, you'll remember her from, she played Starbuck on Sci-Fi's Battlestar Galactica. Production companies, Dimension Films, Nightfall Films, and Trancus International. Music by Danny Lux. Budget of $15 million, box office of $37.6 million. The ninth movie, just called Halloween, so yet another movie just named Halloween, from 2007, so five years later, this is considered a remake. This and the next movie are both directed and written by Rob Zombie, produced by Malik Akkad, Andy Gold, and Rob Zombie, starring Malcolm McDonald as Dr. Loomis, Sherry Moon Zombie as Michael's mother, Tyler Maine as Michael, Scout Taylor Compton as Lori, Brad Dorif as Sheriff Brackett, and of course we talked about him recently when we did the Child's Play series, Danielle Harris as best friend Annie, and we also have a number of other famous people who make some uh, appearances, including Udo Kier, Clint Howard, Danny Trejo, Bill Mosley, Leslie Easterbrook, D. Wallace, Ken Foray, and Sid Haig, to name a few. The production companies for this one are uh, Dimension, Nightfall, Spectacle Entertainment Group, and Trancus, and the Weinstein Company. Music by Taylor Bates, budget of $15 million, box office of $80.4 million. And Halloween 2, again by Rob Zombie from 2009, so two years later, all the same people involved as the first one. The budget was $18 million, box office of $39.4 million. Despite initial plans for Halloween 3, this didn't happen since the box office wasn't that good. The production company pulled out and Zombie declined to make any more Halloween movies. The 11th movie, also called Halloween. So the third movie to just be called Halloween is from 2018, so nine years later, directed by David Gordon Green, written by Jeff Fradley, David McBridge, and David Gordon Green, produced again by Malik Akkad, Jason Bloom, Jason Blum of Blumhouse, and Bill Block, starring again Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer as her daughter Karen, um, Andy Matahack as granddaughter Allison, Will Patton, um, also starred. Production companies are Miramax, Blumhouse, and Trackus International. Also, Rough House Pictures, distributed by Universal. The music was again by John Carpenter, his son Cody Carpenter, and Daniel Davies. Budget of ten to fifteen million, box office of two hundred and fifty-five point five million. This makes Halloween twenty eighteen the highest-grossing film of the franchise. Collectively, all of the films together have earned somewhere around six hundred and forty million dollars worldwide. This makes them the highest-grossing horror franchise of all time. Future developments, as I said, there are two movies currently in process. Uh, Halloween Kills is scheduled for release October of next year, and Halloween Ends is scheduled for release October 2022. All of these films were released around October, and the first one, Halloween Kills, was supposed to be this year, but of course, due to COVID-19, everything has been pushed back. So that's something to look forward to. 
Where to Find These Movies. Shudder has the original Halloween, 4 and 5. Amazon has all of them except for 3. None are free, though. All are $4 each. Google Play, YouTube, and Voodoo have them for $4 each. I watch 2 and 3 on YouTube. The AMC channel seems to have a bunch of them. And Hulu at one time had a number of them, but doesn't seem to have any anymore. And they're also not on Netflix or Tubi. Rotten Tomatoes scores. Uh, the first Halloween, critics gave it a 96. Audiences gave it a 89%. This is the highest ranked movie by both critics and audiences. Halloween 2, critics 32, audiences 63. So audiences still like that movie. Halloween 3, critics 41, audiences 27. That's the second lowest rating for audiences, so they did not like Halloween 3. Uh, Halloween, Return of Michael Myers, critics 29, audiences 53. Halloween 5, Revenge of Michael Myers, critics 13, audiences 37. Halloween 6, Curse of Michael Myers, critics 9, that's a single digit, audiences 37. That is the lowest uh, rank of critics in the franchise, so critics did not like Halloween 6. Halloween H2O, critics 53, audiences 49. Halloween Resurrection, critics 12, audiences 52, I'm sorry, 25%. This is the second lowest ranking for critics and the lowest ranking for audiences. So nobody likes Halloween Resurrection. And in the Rob Zombie movies, the first Halloween, critics 27, audiences 59. The second one, critics 21, audiences 45. And the last movie, Halloween 2018, critics 79%. Audiences 70%. So they also like that one quite a bit. Before we talk about the basic plots of the movie, I just want to go over a few things just so we can keep track of them. Uh, the first is the continuity of the movies. There are actually five different timelines in this franchise. So uh, without this, it is hard to keep track of what's going on. So we have the first timeline, also known as the original timeline. We have Halloween 1, 2, and 4, 5, and 6. The second Halloween, I'm sorry, the second timeline has Halloween 1, 2, then Halloween H2O, then Halloween Resurrection. The third timeline are the Rob Zombies movies, which stand by themselves. The fourth timeline has Halloween 1, then Halloween 2018, then as I mentioned, these haven't been released yet, but they will follow this continuity. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. And lastly, the Halloween 3 movie uh, exists separately, is not part of any other timeline, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Important characters in the franchise. So keep an eye out for these recurring characters. Laurie Strode, of course, played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Halloween 1, 2, H2O, Resurrection, and Halloween 2018. Dr. Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance. It's in Halloween 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6. Jamie Lloyd, Laurie Strode's daughter in one timeline, played by Daniel Harris, is in 4, 5, and is played by a different character in 6. Harris is also best friend Annie in the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Rachel Carruthers, played by Ellie Cornell, 
is Jamie's foster sister. She's in 4 and 5. Sheriff Ben Meeker, played by both stars in 4 and 5. Tommy Doyle, he's the kid that Lori was babysitting in the first Halloween. A grown-up Tommy is played by Paul Rudd in 6. And Kyle Richards is the other kid that Lori's friend Annie was babysitting. Richard is due to be back in Halloween Kills, uh, played by the same actress. Um, And this time, Tommy will be played by Anthony Michael Hall. Nurse Marion Chambers, Dr. Loomis's assistant, played by Nancy Stevens. She appeared in 1, 2, and H2O. Even though she was often H2O, she will be back, apparently, in Halloween Kills. Annie Brackett, Lori's bestie, who was originally played by Nancy Keyes. She is killed in 1, but the actress makes a cameo in Halloween 3. And, again, as I said, Daniel Harris plays the character in Rob Zombie's movies. Lonnie Elam, he's a kid that bullied Tommy in the first Halloween movie. He's still around in town and up to no good in 2018. His son Cameron dates Lori's granddaughter Allison. Lonnie will be back in Halloween Kills and will be played by Robert Longstreet. Sheriff Lee Brackett, who is Annie's father, was in one and briefly in two. According to the story, he retired shortly after his daughter was killed. Um, but it looks like the original actor, Charles Cyphers, will be back in Halloween Kills. Ben Tanner, this is kind of a fun one. We never saw him in the first Halloween, but he was Lori's crush, and they talked about him on the phone. He was also apparently the guy who was unfortunate to be wearing the same mask as Michael Myers in 2. When Loomis started chasing him, he ran out into the street, was hit by a car, and burst into flames thus leading them to believe that Michael was dead, but he was not. And lastly, Nick Castle, most often referenced as the shape in these movies because uh, the character is not referred to as Michael uh, for part of the franchise. So he was the original shape, um, and there are a number of other ones that we will mention as well, but he is probably the best known. Okay, documentaries. There are a whole bunch of documentaries about Halloween. I'm not going to read all of them, but there are a number of them available on YouTube and elsewhere. There's Halloween, 25 Years of Horror. There's The Shape Lives, 30 Years of Halloween. There's uh, For the Love of the Boogeyman, 40 Years of Halloween. And Halloween H4O, 40 Years Later. And Blood is Thicker Than Water, etc. Before we talk about the specific plot points, I want to stop and play John Carpenter's original Halloween theme from 1978 movie. This is probably the most recognized Halloween or horror music in existence. And again, this is the Halloween theme from 1978 by John Carpenter.
Now on to the plot. I'll read what IMDb says about each one and then just briefly discuss the plot since there are so many movies. The first Halloween, IMDb says, 15 years after murdering his sister Judith on Halloween night in 1963, Michael Myers, he was six at the time that he killed her, escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois to kill again. And that's about it. The plot is very straightforward. Michael's psychiatrist, Dr. Sam Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, follows to warn the people. Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, is watching Tommy Doyle, as I said previously, and then ends up with next-door neighbor Lindsay Wallace at some point. Laurie barely escapes Michael several times. Loomis finally gets into the house and shoots Michael six times. He falls from the balcony to the ground, but when Loomis looks at the ground, Michael is gone. He has killed four people in the movie. Uh, the mechanic, and that's the guy whose blue overalls he took after he escaped the mental hospital. The sheriff's daughter, Annie, and friend Linda, and her boyfriend, I think his name is Bob. Halloween 2, IMDb says, While Sheriff Brackett and Dr. Loomis hunt for Michael Myers, a traumatized Lori is rushed to the hospital, and the serial killer is not far behind. Again, the plot is very straightforward, begins with the end of the first movie, and then continues as Loomis and the police look for Michael while Lori spends all of her time in the hospital. Uh, Loomis and the police find the word Sam Hain scrawled on a chalkboard, and this will be important later, and there's a drawing of a family with a knife through the girl's body. Now, this movie is important because it is revealed that Lori is Michael's sister. So she was a young child at the time that he killed Judith. Marianne Chambers, Loomis' assistant from One is Back, and Michael, in the end, Michael and Loomis are supposed to be killed in a fiery explosion in the hospital. But as we know, that's not going to happen. Halloween 3, IMDb says... Kids all over America want silver shamrock masks for Halloween. Dr. Daniel Chalice seeks to uncover a plot by silver shamrock owner Canal Cochran. This is a standalone film that has nothing to do with the rest. It originally was the beginning, planned to be the beginning of an anthology series like American Horror Story. Um, it is most memorable for the earworm. Eight more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Eight more days till Halloween, Silver Shamrock. And I'll play that a little bit later since I can't do it justice. But um, I think the problem with this movie is that many people who went to see it did not know that Michael Myers was not going to be in the movie. I was one of those people that went to see it back in the day, so I wasn't sure what was going on. If I had known that it was going to be the beginning of Anthology, I think I would have liked it better. But to be honest, at that time, I felt gypped. So, Halloween 4. IMDb says, 10 years after the original massacre, the invalid Michael Myers awakens on Halloween Eve and returns to Haddonfield to kill his 7-year-old niece. Can Dr. Loomis stop him? So, in this movie, Lori has been killed off-screen. Her 7-year-old daughter, Jamie Lloyd, we don't know who the father is, is now being stalked by Michael, and not much else goes on. Jamie's foster sister, Rachel, tries to protect her, as does Dr. Loomis, the sheriff, and some locals. In the end, Michael is filled full of holes, 
by the police and falls into a mine shaft uh, where they throw down an explosive and blow it up. So is Michael dead? Nope, he's not. And in the last scene of the movie, Jamie, who's in a clown costume, remember Michael was also wearing a clown costume when he killed his sister Judith, she stabs, we don't see it, but she stabs her foster mother off screen and then stands at the top of the, top of the stairs with a bloody knife like Michael while Loomis yells no and tries to shoot her, but the sheriff is able to uh, grab the gun before he does. So at the end of this movie, we think that Jamie is going to follow in her uncle's footsteps. Halloween 5, IMDb says... One year after the events of Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers, the shape returns to Haddonfield again in an attempt to kill his now-mute niece, who also has a psychic connection with him. Uh, this shows the end of the last movie, where Michael falls down in the mine shaft. How he escapes is, before they throw the explosive in, he comes out, I guess, another entrance that's next to a river, floats down the river until some guy who lives next to the river finds him, brings him in his little shack, nurses him back to health, and Michael repays him for his kindness by laying comatose for a year and then getting up and killing him one year later. Uh, now he's off to look for Jamie again. He offs her foster sister fairly early in the movie, and then we spend way too much time with him chasing around her best friend, Tina. And I gotta say... Personally, Tina is one of the most irritating characters in this franchise. I just want to kill Tina myself. Um, I don't know why they made her so irritating, but uh, in my opinion, they should just kept the st stepsister and done without Tina. Anyway, Tina tries to avenge herself by... Um, she sacrifices herself to save Jamie and Jamie's friend Billy from the hospital. In the end, Loomis traps Michael and beats him with a two-by-four. Um, they lock him up in a police station, but then some mysterious guy in a cowboy hat that's wearing all in black kills all the cops in the uh, station and then breaks Michael out. And when Jamie goes to look, of course, he is gone. Halloween 6. IMDb says six years after Michael Myers last terrorized Haddonfield, he returns there in pursuit of his niece, Jamie Lloyd, who has escaped with her newborn child for which Michael and a mysterious cult have sinister plans. So Daniel Harris is gone, but someone else who plays a now-grown Jamie for about ten minutes appears. Uh, this is the last appearance of Dr. Loomis. Sadly, Donald Pleasance passed away six months before this film is released. And this movie is where the series really goes off the rails, in my opinion, with his whole curse storyline. So Jamie had her hunk, uncle's baby, so that's pretty gross to start with, and then Michael wants to kill him to fulfill some curse called the Curse of Thorn, which is a curse from a bunch of ancient druids. Um, Lori's adopted family, the Strodes, have moved into the Myers' old house, and they don't know anything about the story of the murders except for the jerk father. Daughter Kara and her son Danny have been away for five years and then they return home and there's a lot of tension with her and the father. Tommy Doyle, played by Paul Rudd, lives next door and he and Loomis are the only ones who are trying to kill Michael and save the baby. Dr. Wynn, 
who works at Smith's Grove Sanitarium, which is where Michael originally was, and he worked there along with Loomis. It turns out in the end that he's actually in the cult. The movie seems to end very abruptly, in my opinion, uh, with Tommy, Kira, and Danny escaping with the baby. Michael, of course, escapes as well. Not sure what happened to Dr. Wynn. Um, the plot where Danny hears voices telling him to kill his family and the cult wanting to recruit him, um, they it's just left dangling, so you don't know what happened with that storyline at all. So that movie is a hot mess, in my opinion. On to something better, Halloween H2O. IMDb says, Laurie Strode, now the dean of a Northern California private school under assumed name, her, not the school, must battle the shape one last time as the life of her own son hangs in the balance. The opening scene has Nurse Chambers, Loomis's assistant, of course, from the original, heading home at Halloween. There's a break-in at her house, and yep, it's Michael. He found a file labeled Lori Strode. It's empty, and apparently he had had her new identity, so he knows who she changed her name to. Um, and a kid that goes over to uh, help her with a break-in ends up killed, and then Michael also kills her as the police are next door and she's yelling for help. And we're off to the races. As we said before, this is a separate timeline, so it has the original, then H2O. I'm sorry, it has the original, then Halloween 2, then H2O. So Lori faked her death. That was referenced in Halloween 4 and is the head of a private school. She's also an alcoholic, and she has nightmares and uh, all sorts of stuff. She sees Michael everywhere. She finally breaks down and tells her guidance counselor boyfriend, played by Alan Arkham, about her true identity. Meanwhile, her son John, uh, we don't know anything about the father, is trying to live a normal life. He knows about his mother's past, and he's trying to protect her as much as he can and sympathize with her. And then, of course, Michael attacks. Lori fights him off. Her boyfriend is killed. Uh, in the end, she supposedly kills Michael, but she doesn't believe he's dead, which, given everything else that's happened, yes, that's a fair assumption. She steals the coroner's van where Michael's body is in, and then she drives away. Michael escapes. The van crashes. She tries to run over him. The van crashes. He is trapped between a tree and a van. The van and Lori chops off his head with an axe. And you'd think at this point he's dead now. But nope, he's not. The eighth movie, Halloween Resurrection, IMDb says, three years after the last terror after last terrorizing his sister, Michael Myers confronts her again before traveling to Haddonfield to deal with the cast and crew of a reality show that is being broadcast from his old home. So this follows H2O. Uh, this kills off Lori, who is in a mental hospital at the beginning in the first, like, ten minutes. How they got around Michael's being beheaded is that he came back to life. He took the mask, stuck it on one of the ambulance drivers. He crushed his larynx so he couldn't talk, and then he put him in the body bag. So that touching moment that we saw at the end of the last film where Michael reaches out for Lori and they almost touch hands... That was the poor guy trying to get Lori not to kill him. But she definitely chopped off his head. 
The show then follows a completely new set of characters who are doing a reality show uh, for something called uh, Danger Dangertainment. It's an internet show. Everybody's wearing a body cam. Of course, Michael shows up. He doesn't like people living in his house, as we've seen before, and he starts offing people. In the end, only the reluctant participant, Sarah, and TV producer Freddie survive. And at one point, there's a really hilarious scene where Freddie uh, goes all kung fu on Michael's ass and tries to kick him, tries to beat him up. Uh, it was pretty comical. Okay, Rob Zombie, Halloween 1, IMDb says, After being committed for 17 years, Michael Myers, now a grown man and still very dangerous, escapes from the mental institution and immediately returns to Haddonfield to find his baby sister, Lori. I'm not going to cover much about the zombie movies because we already did those back in, uh, I think it was episode 14, where we talked about all of Rob Zombie's movies. I will say that this follows his usual style and that it's very um, very quick editing, very gory. Uh, if you've seen House of a Thousand Corpses or Devil's Rejects, you get the idea of what his aesthetic is. Uh, they do explore more of Michael's backstory, um, and that's probably why. I mean, I like these movies fine, but I prefer to think of Michael as some mysterious uh, creature that's killing people. When you start talking about his backstory, that really takes a lot of the mystery away, and I think that uh, a lot of people thought that besides me. But that was first one, uh, Rob Zombie's second Halloween, was Laurie Strode struggles to come to terms with her brother Michael's deadly return to Haddonfield, Illinois. Meanwhile, Michael prepares for another reunion with his sister. So more of the same, more backstory. The 11th and last movie for now, Halloween 2018, IMDb says, Laurie Strode confronts her longtime foe, Michael Myers, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree on Halloween night four decades ago. This only follows the first Halloween movie. Jamie Lee Curtis is back, and Laurie is not Michael's sister in this timeline. This time, a very traumatized Laurie lives a life of solitude. Her daughter was taken away from her by the state. Her granddaughter wants to have some sort of relationship with her, but it's hard, given that her grandmother is crazy. Um... And she's definitely an alcoholic. Michael is being transferred to another facility. And of course you know what happened. Every time they try to transfer the man someplace, he ends up escaping. So it looks like they would stop doing that. But nope. So he comes after Jamie. And this time she has spent 40 years preparing for him. So um, I really like this movie. And I thought it was very fitting uh, follow-up to Halloween 1. And I really enjoyed the great fight scene at the end. So, this is one of my favorites. Now, on to trivia. There is a whole bunch of trivia, way too much about these movies. So, I might try to cut it down some. But, um, here's what we got. So, the first Halloween, a novelization, a video game, and comic book series have been based on the film. There is tons and tons of Halloween merchandise. In 2006... The film was selected for presentation for preservation by the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. 
as I said, from a budget of three hundred thousand, this film went on to gross forty-seven million in the U.S. and in twenty-eighteen takings, that would be the equivalent of a hundred and fifty million dollars, making Halloween one of the most successful independent films of all time. The original script, titled "The Babysitter Murders." Had the events take place over space of several days, it was a budgetary decision to change the script to have everything happen on the same day. Doing this reduced the number of costume changes and locations required, and it was decided that Halloween, the scariest night of the year, was the perfect night for this to happen. Uh, let's see here. John Carpenter considered the hiring of Jamie Lee Curtis as the ultimate tribute to Alfred Hitchcock, who had given her mother, Janet Lee, legendary status in Psycho in 1960. Ironically, during the same period, Universal Studio producers and director Richard Franklin were trying to enroll Jamie Lee in the new production of Psycho 2. Deborah Lee, sorry, Deborah Hill and... John Carpenter have stated many times over the years that they did not consciously set out to depict virginity as a way of defeating a rampaging killer. The reason why the horny teens all die is simply that they are too preoccupied and they don't notice what's going on around them. On the other hand, Laurie Strode spends a lot of time on her own and is therefore more alert. Of the female leads, all the girls were supposed to be in high school, only Jamie Lee Curtis was actually a teenager during the shooting. In the documentary Halloween Unmasked 2000, it was revealed that the crew had chosen two masks for Michael Myers to decide on. The first was a Don Post Emmett Kelly smiling clown mask uh, that they put frizzy red hair on. This was an homage to how Michael had killed his sister Judith in the clown costume. They tested it out, and it appeared very demented and creepy. The other mask was a 1975 Captain James D. Kirk mask that was purchased for around a dollar. It had eyebrows and sideburns ripped off, and the face was painted fish belly white. I don't know what fish belly white is, but I assume it's it's the color that Michael's face is. And the hair was spray-painted brown, and the eyes were opened up more. They tested out the Kirk mask, and the crew decided that it was much more creepy because it was emotionless, and this is the Michael Myers mask going forward. John Carpenter's intent with the character of Michael Myers was that the audience should never be able to relate to him, which I think was a good move. As the film was shot out of sequence, John Carpenter created a fear meter that Jamie Lee Curtis would know what level of terror she should be exhibiting. Half of the $300,000 budget was sp spent on the Panavision cameras so the film would have a 2 to 35 to 1 scope. The story is based on experience by John Carpenter. He had when he was college and he was touring a psychiatric hospital. He met a child who stared at, stared at him with a look of evil that terrified him. A little bit about casting. Although John Carpenter had originally hoped to get either Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee to play Dr. Sam Loomis, he was thrilled when Donald Pleasance accepted because he was a huge fan. Pleasance was easily the oldest and most experienced person in the production, so understandably Carpenter was a little intimidated by him when they first met. Pleasance actually started by saying, I don't know why I'm in this movie, 
and I don't know who my character is. The only reason I'm doing this movie is because I have alimony to pay, and my daughter in England is in a rock and roll band, and she said the music that you did for Assault on Precinct 13 in 1976 was cool. So that was how they got started. Um, Pleasant, but they ended up hitting it off and becoming good friends. Pleasant went on to appear in two other Carpenter movies, he made $20,000 for his five days' work on Halloween. And Christopher Lee later said that not accepting this role was one of the greatest mistakes of his career. The stabbing sound effect is actually a knife stabbing a watermelon. John Carpenter wrote the role of Linda for P.J. Souls after seeing her performance in Brian De Palma's Carrie in 1976. Halloween was shot in 20 days. The Halloween theme was written in a rare 5-4 time signature. John Carpenter learned from his father. I think his father was a music professor. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was originally disappointed in her performance and was worried about being fired, but when Carpenter called her to tell her that he loved what she was doing with the character, so she was more at ease. Carpenter's original choice for Laurie was the daughter of someone on the movie on the TV show Lassie, I think June Lockhart's daughter. Um, that was his original choice. Prior to the movie, a book written by Curtis Richards reveals more of the story behind Michael Myers' rage, thoughts, and motives, but the book is currently very rare. I think I already said it, but all the actors wore their own clothes because they couldn't afford any uh, costuming. Jamie Lee went to JCPenney and spent $100 for the entire set for Lori. And Jamie Lee shot the film while on a hiatus from the sitcom Operation Petticoat. Deborah Hill wrote most of the dialogue for the female characters while John Carpenter wrote Dr. Loomis's speeches. As the movie was actually shot in early spring in Southern California instead of Illinois in late October, the crew had to buy paper leaves from a decorator and paint them in the desired autumn colors then scatter them in the filming locations to save money. After they were done filming, they had to pick them up again and reuse them. Um, however, you can see that the trees are still quite full and green and you can even see a few palm trees, which of course they don't have in Illinois. In an interview, Mustafa Akkad said that John Carpenter had envisioned making the entire movie for $300,000. Coincidentally, he was working on a film, a major motion picture with Laurence Olivier, that cost the company roughly $300,000 a day. When Carpenter told him he the fixed price of his movie, he immediately funded it. The opening POV point of view sequence took two days to film, and that's of Michael stalking and killing his sister. The dark lighting comes from necessity. The crew didn't have enough money for more lights. And this is Jamie Lee Curtis's first feature film. She was paid a reported $8,000 for her efforts. The scene where the shape appears out of darkness behind Lori was accomplished by using a simple dimmer switch on the light that slowly illuminated the mask. Donald Pleasance did all his films, as I said previously, in five days. The total duration of his screen time is 18 minutes. 
The Myers House was the locale found in southern Pasadena. It was a largely decrepit, abandoned place, but they had to fix it up for the uh, initial scene. So they ended up uh, cleaning it, putting up wallpaper, getting lights and electricity to shoot those scenes, and then took it all out after they were done. The character Michael Myers is named after a European distributor of Carpenter's previous film, Assault on Precinct 13, as a weird sort of thank you for the film's overseas success. <coughs> Excuse me. The movie that Tommy and Lori are watching on TV is A Thing from Another World from 1951. John Carpenter went on to direct the remake of The Thing in 1982. For the first airing on television, extra scenes had to be added to, uh, so it could hit a desired runtime. So John Carpenter filmed these during the production of Halloween 2 against his better judgment. As the film was made in spring, as we already said, the crew had a hard time finding pumpkins. When they were shooting films from the start, when they were shooting the scenes from the start of the movie, uh, the six-year-old actor was not on set yet, so Deborah Hill volunteered to be Michael for some scenes where her hands come into view. That's why the nails on young Michael's hands look very well manicured. Uh, in 2010, it was revealed that five different people dressed as a shape. Of course, Nick Castle we already talked about. There's Tony uh, Moran, who was uh, the face after he was unmasked. There's stuntman James Wilburn and production designer Tommy Lee Wallace. Uh, and lastly, as we already mentioned, Deborah Hill and the scenes where you can see her hands and also where you see the shape uh, across the street. Tony stated that no one told him until he arrived that day he would be wearing a mask. Deborah explained that she happened to bring the costume with her that day and no one was available for the shoot. Originally, Nick Castle was on set just to watch the movie and it was the suggestion of John Carpenter that he play the role of Michael Myers. Originally, Dr. Loomis was supposed to have a phone conversation with his wife, but Donald Pleasant didn't want to do it because he said the character shouldn't have a family or a past. He had spent his entire life with Michael. The opening shot appears to be a single tracking point of view shot, but there are actually three different cuts of it. Here's something that I've thought about before, that Michael Myers could drive a car despite having been committed to an asylum at the age of six inspires many guffaws. The first movie novelization came up with a simple but effective explanation. When Dr. Loomis drove Michael to sanity hearings over the years, Michael watched him and carefully observed how he operated the car. Remember, even if Michael sat in the back and there was a scene of bulletproof graft partition, Michael could still look over the doctor's shoulder without Loomis realizing it. Alternately, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, provides a retroactive explanation to the question. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has played Laurie Strode in films released in five different decades, from the 1970s to the 2010s. Of course, the first movie, Halloween 2 and 81, Halloween H20 in 1998, Halloween Resurrection in 2020, and Halloween in 2018. 
Um, Carpenter had originally shown uh, the first cut of the movie to executives without the mu music being added, and the executives didn't find it very scary, so he went back and added the music, which made it much scarier. And as we said before, we talked about Mustafa Akkad, who agreed to uh, produce the movie. He actually had little interest in horror movies, but just produced it because of the price tag and that Carpenter uh, was so enthusiastic about it. He also saw an opportunity and continued to feel, facilitate every Halloween sequel. This does not include the two remakes which were produced after his death in 2015, and then his son also became involved in the franchise, which we'll talk about later. Ironically, in spite of her Scream Queen status, Jamie Lee admits, I loathe horror movies. I don't like to be surprised. Uh, Dr. Loomis, of course, is Michael Myers' psychiatrist. Sam Loomis is also the name of Marion Crane's secret lover in Psycho. Coincidentally, Marion Crane was played by Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, as we said, Janet Lee. And Annie is played by actress Nancy Keys, who is credited as Nancy Loomis. The name Loomis is also used in Scream. In addition to Psycho being a major influence, the name Marion also appears in the movie as that of the nurse played by Nancy Stevens, like Marion Crane and Sam Loomis. Marion Chambers is closely connected to Sam Loomis. After being noted, the killer is referred to as the shape in the script and credits for the film. Um, the word shape was used in the Salem Witch Trial by judges to describe specters or spirits of the accused doing mischief and harming other people. The writer's goal was to write a film like a radio play with scares every 10 minutes. John Carpenter's direction for Nicholas Castle in his role as Myers was minimal. For example, when Castle asked what Myers' motivation was for a particular scene, Carpenter replied that his motivation was to walk from one set marker to the other. Carpenter also instructed Castle to tilt his head a couple of times as if he was observing the corpse, particularly in the scene where Myers impels one of the victims against a wall. Halloween was voted the fifth scariest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly. According to screenwriter-producer Deborah Hill, the character Laurie Strode was named after John Carpenter's first girlfriend. And as already said, Carpenter and, and Hill were, uh, were a couple, not just business partners, when they were working on the movie. And Jamie Lee later said, They were my horror movie parents uh, when I was a child. When they broke up in 1979, I cried. John Carpenter purposefully took a more restrained, suggestive approach with the gore in the movie. He had learned his lesson with his last movie, Assault on Precinct 13, where he killed off Kim Richards' character and the audience wound up hating him. Because of this, he purposefully took a more discreet approach to the bloodshed, a la Psycho, as opposed to over-the-top gore-fest. John Carpenter was a huge fan of the original Canadian slasher film, Black Christmas from 1974 and asked Bob Clark if he wrote a sequel, if he could write a sequel and received his permission. This script eventually evolved into the separate project that became Halloween. Will Sandon, played young Michael Myers, became a police officer in Los Angeles. He has no interest in pursuing a full-time acting career. 
the film, taking place primarily in Haddonfield, Illinois, is a homage to Deborah Hill's hometown of Haddonfield, New Jersey. When Lori and Annie Brackett are driving in a car, they're listening to the song Don't Fear the Reaper by the Blue Oyster Cult. Jamie Lee didn't see herself as the repressed virgin type and was surprised when she found out which of the three girls she would be playing. She noted she probably would have been better suited to play the smart aleck of the group. According to Don Post Jr., president of Don Post Studios, the famous California mask-making company, the filmmakers originally approached the studio about custom-making and original masks for use in the film. The filmmakers explained they could not afford... Uh, the numerous cost involved in making a mask from scratch, but would offer Post points in the movie as payment for his services. Post declined his offer as he received many more, many similar proposals from numerous filmmakers at the time, and then they ended up just going with the William Shatner mask. Um, let's see. Laurie Strode remarks that she would rather go out with unseen character Ben Tramer. The name came from Bennett Trainer, an old college friend of director John Carpenter. Here's one I bet you didn't know. Robert Inklin of Nightmare on Elm Street fame revealed in an interview that John Carpenter had him throw bags of dead leaves on the set one day. We've already talked about The Thing from Another World, which Carpenter ended up remaking in 1982. Um, and interestingly, Carpenter was approached to direct The Thing after the studio was unhappy with a concept provided by Toby Hooper, who was the director of 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which also is considered one of the seminal works in horror slasher films. Linda's line, Cute Bob, Real Cute, is a reference to Donnie and Marie Osmond television show, which was popular at that time from 76 to 79, and it was a catchphrase repeated throughout the television variety show. When Terry Gross from NPR interviewed Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel in front of an audience for a fundraiser for radio station WBEZ in Chicago, in 1996, Terry asked them about the scariest movie they had seen. Roger mentioned how the first Halloween movie was extremely scary and then recounted how when Gene saw it at a local movie theater, he was so scared, took a cab home, and though he was only two blocks from the movie theater, Gene then recounts when he got home, he went to the shower and pulled the curtain back to see if anyone was there. Uh, on the 25th anniversary disc, Carpenter states that the original title sequence was to show a long shot of a sidewalk ending with a Halloween mask on the floor. The idea was dropped and the more iconic title sequence of the jack-o'-lantern was used. So that's a very famous sequence and that's used in a couple of the other movies. Uh, if you want to check that out on YouTube, it has a list of all the uh, Halloween pumpkin intros. Um, let's see what else. The Myers house is actually an abandoned building. The filmmakers found in South Pasadena, California. It later became a chiropractor's office. Before shooting the film, Carpenter cinematographer Gene Cuddy viewed 
Chinatown from 1974, and he was so impressed with the cinematography that he tried to duplicate the color palette, which was burnt orange for the day shots, coupled with blue backlighting for the night shots. Um, here's an interesting bit of trivia. P.J. Souls was married to Dennis Quaid at the time, or was dating Dennis Quaid, and later married him. Um, and originally they had wanted Dennis for the role of her boyfriend, Paul Sims, but he was working on another project at the time, so John Michael Graham took over instead. When Dr. Loomis is fuming and, uh, at Dr. Wynn about Michael Myers' escape from the sanitarium the night before, there's a glimpse of the real-life place that stood in for Smith's Grove. It's called Lavina Hospital and Sanitarium in... Uh, Altadena, California, the institution's name is permanently displayed on a welcome mat as they exit the facility. Actress and, uh, let's see, playboy model that played Judith Myers, Sandy Johnson, was in a rare interview. She said that the fake blood, uh, she didn't like that and it stained her skin. In between takes, she remembers that Whoever was putting it on her was rough, so then she asked Jamie Lee Curtis to do it, um, and that went better. To achieve this shot of Michael strangling the dog, the trainer on set held the dog in his arms and then dropped him naturally. This shot was shown in slow motion to make it look like the dog had been killed. Which is good because we don't want any animals hurt during these movies. Tommy Lee Wallace has worked second unit for John Carpenter on the film and was originally chosen by Carpenter and producers to direct Halloween 2. His approach, however, um, let's see, his approach was more of a Halloween H2O approach where it's five years later. Well, let's just forget that one. That one's not very important. So anyway, he ended up directing instead of Halloween 2, Halloween 3. Jamie Lee Curtis said in an interview that William Shatner was initially not happy with his likeness being used as a mask uh, for deranged serial killers. She also said that Mike Myers, the Canadian comedian from Saturday Night Live, who is behind Wayne's World, was not particularly thrilled either that his name was used as a serial killer. At 3 minutes 54 seconds in the film, the lights go off upstairs where Michael's sister and her boyfriend are. The boyfriend is... Heard saying goodnight to her from the stairs at the five-minute mark, saving only one minute, six seconds for them to have slept together. Uh, before the filming of Halloween, John Carpenter, Tommy Lee Wallace, and Nick Castle were all in a rock band called the Coupe de Ville's. And before deciding on the Captain Kirk mask, they also, as I said, already considered Emmett Kelly mask, but also Richard Nixon and a Spock mask. John Carpenter was paid only $10,000 to direct and score this film, and that was a point of contention for him for some years uh, with a cod, given how much money the movie made. Deborah Hill worked for no salary and a percentage of the profits. As the film grossed in excess of $70 million, this proved to be highly lucrative. Laurie's father is played by Peter Griffin. He's also the father of a famous movie actress, Melanie Griffin, and 
the ex-husband of another Hitchcock veteran, Tippi Hedren. For some reason, this character never shows up in the franchise again and is only in the opening scenes of Halloween. He doesn't even come to visit his daughter when she's in the hospital on Halloween too. None of the big studios at the time were interested in distributing the movie as executive uh, producer Erwin Yoblins decided to distribute the film via his own company, Compass International. MCA Universe produced and distributed the next two sequels in the early 80s. Uh, let's see. Michael Myers never runs or speaks in any of these movies, save one word he says in one of the later movies, which I think was a mistake. Uh, this was called Witches' Night in Italy, as Halloween was not a commonplace celebration there in 1978. The name of the character Sheriff Lee Brackett, played by Charles Cyphers, is direct reference to screenwriter uh, of Rio Bravo, Lee Brackett, one of John Carpenter's favorite movies. He used the name in Assault on Precinct 13 and Someone's Watching You. Through the film credit, the Bowling Green Philharmonic Orchestra uh, is credited for performing the soundtrack. In reality, there is not a Bowling Green Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, it is actually just John Carpenter using a piano that he has at home with Dan Wenham later making some additions to Carpenter's music with a primitive synthesizer. Nancy Stevens, who played the nurse, as we already said, accompanied Dr. Loomis, went on to marry Rick Rosenthal, who was director of Halloween 2. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, was released on the film's 10th anniversary. H2O was released on the 20th anniversary, and Halloween 2018 was released on the 40th anniversary. The 30th anniversary is the only 10-year interval that did not have a sequel released, uh, though it nearly did with Halloween 2007 coming out on the 29th and Halloween 2 coming out on the 21st. The opening sequence of the film, inspired by Orson Welles' Touch of Evil, contrary to popular belief, it's not a single-shot opening from the movie director Carpenter liked best, but the later scene midway, when the movie pans around a Mexican motel, Carpenter also mentions the style of the film was inspired by Alfred Hitchcock and said it was driven by simplicity. Annie Lockhart was John's first choice for the role of Laurie Strode. And as I mentioned, several people he wanted for Dr. Loomis also included uh, Peter O'Toole, Mel Brooks, Stephen Hill, Walter Matthau, Jerry Van Dyke, uh, Kirk Douglas, John Belushi, Lloyd Bridges, Abe Vigoda, that would have been interesting, Chris Christopherson, uh, David Carradine, Dennis Hopper, Yul Brenner and Edward Bunker were considered. John Carpenter has mentioned in the past that he based Michael Myers on Yul Brenner's robotic assassin character from Restworld from 1973. If you haven't seen that, that's fun. Written by uh, Michael Crichton. Interestingly, Carpenter would work with the late author's now fourth ex-wife actress, Anne-Marie Martin in Halloween 2. She is uncredited as Nurse Karen's friend, Darcy Esmont. Kyle Richards, who played Lindsay Wallace, 
is the sister of Kim Richards, who appears in John Carpenter's previous film, Assault on Precinct 13. Both of these women would later go on, which you probably remember them best for, to star in The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. The scene where Lori and Annie are discussing who Lori should take to the prom, Annie suggests that she go with uh, Dick Baxter. Dick Baxter is the name of the first three victims uh, who killed by the ghost. One of the first three victims who's killed by the ghost in The Fog. Nancy Keys, who plays Annie, is also in that movie. Both of those were directed by John Carpenter. The f this is the first of two movies in the series where anyone refers to Michael Myers as the Boogeyman. The second is Halloween 4. And I already said Nancy Keys, Day Loomis, uh, went on to play Linda in Halloween 3. At that time, she was married to film director Tommy Lee Wallace, whom she met while he served as production designer on this film. This is included in America's Film Institute's 2001 list of the top 100 most heart-pounding American movies. The voice of Judas' boyfriend is dubbed by Tommy Lee Wallace. There are several characters in this movie that start with the letter L, Lori, Loomis, Linda, Lindsay, Lee, Lonnie, Lester. Um, let's see. Some of these I'm not going over. Already talked about the Bowling Green Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, for years Halloween was released, people would tell director... John Carpenter, how horrified they were by Michael Myers' grotesquely disfigured face, glimpsed when Laurie pulls his mask off for a moment towards the end of the film, but actually all they saw was an ordinary face of actor Tony Moran, um, which was perfectly normal except for a small knife wound inflicted by Laurie during the struggle in the closet which was created by the special effects department. Carpenter cites that as evidence is the power of suggestion in cinema that the audience saw a monster on screen and assumed that he must look like a monster underneath his mask. The body count in the first Halloween movie is only five, believe it or not. Sister Judith, the unnamed truck driver who lost his overalls, two poor dogs, uh, Linda, and her boyfriend Bob, and best friend Annie Brackett. The only blood scene in the movie is when Judith Myers is killed, when Lori discovers a dangling body of Bob and laid-out body of Annie Brackett, whose throat was, slat, uh, was slit and blood is visible there, and at the body of the man that Michael killed for his overalls, um, and on Lori's hand and arm when Michael slashes her. And this is, we've already talked about it, but this is a rare slasher movie where you see the killer driving a car. Another famous example is Pamela Voorhees picking up doomed hitchhiker Annie in her Jeep and then killing her in Friday the 13th. So now I'd like to pause to play uh, another song. This is the theme from Halloween 2, again by John Carpenter and Alan Horwath. So you can compare this to the first movie's theme.
As I said, um, we have way too much trivia, but I did want to go over the stuff from the original Halloween film because it's so iconic, many of those scenes. So hopefully I will scale back on this other stuff. So Halloween 2, the same mask is used um, as in the first movie. It just looks different because the paint had faded and um, it had some wear and tear and it was all crumpled up. Um And then at the end of that movie, they let him keep the 
mask, scaffold, boots, jumpsuit, and knife after filming. However, they did not realize at that point that they were going to do a Halloween 4, and then they had made a mistake because they gave the mask away, so from that part forward, they did not give any of the props away. To get the role of Michael Myers, Dick Warlock revealed that he passed by a room. The Michael Myers mask was on the table. He put the mask on and walked into Rick Rosenthal's office and stood there. Uh, he continually asked him who he was and he didn't say anything. And that's how he got the role. The film was bookended by the song Mr. Sandman by the Cordettes. The tune would later be used in Halloween H20 in 1998. Uh, let's see, producer John Carpenter didn't like director Rick Rosenthal's first version of the film, believing it to be as scary as an episode of, quote, Quincy M.E., which used to be a TV show from 1976. A re-edit was done, but Carpenter still found it too tame. He took over the editing process and sped up the action. He also shot a few gory scenes that added to the film. Despite Rosenthal's objections, this annoyed Rosenthal because he wanted the sequel to emulate the way the original avoided explicit violence and gore in favor of well-crafted suspense and terror. Um, in fact, Carpenter had intended Halloween 2 to do the same, but the success of the new way of slasher films uh, meant that the show had to be more gory in order for people to want to watch it. He later said that he didn't think Rosenthal had a feeling for what was going on, and... Um, he later used Rosenthal in Halloween Resurrection instead. This is the only movie, Halloween 2, uh, to show the morning after the 31st. Every other movie's action ends on Halloween night. The sequel was not as successful in the box office as Halloween, but it still grossed more money than other films that were out at that time, including The Howling, Friday the 13th, and The Final Conflict. Carpenter and Hill were not interested in doing a sequel as they believed the original Halloween was a standalone movie, but the studio offered them more money to write the script. Carpenter took the job so he could earn back what he believed he was owed. Um, as I said previously, he received le very little money from the first movie. Um, however, the script was not formed out as well as he thought, and he has personally stated that the only thing helping him through the screenplay process was a six-pack of Budweiser every day, which led to what he believes was an inferior script and bad choices in the movie story. He later called Halloween 2 an abomination of a horror movie. Um, yeah, not really, not much happens in 2. I mean, I know some people like 2 better than 1, but really not a whole lot going on there that's different, except the setting has changed to a hospital. Um, the film is set immediately after the first Halloween. Since Jamie Lee Curtis had begun to wear a much shorter hairstyle, she wore a wig that matched her original hairstyle from the first film. Uh, one major criticism is that the hospital is too conveniently dead, even, even for a night shift, for Michael to be able to walk around unnoticed and kill the hospital staff. Rick Rosenthal said he based it on a personal experience he had his wife where they once attended a hospital late at night. It was completely deserted, save for a few doctors and nurses and patients. Ad additionally, early dialogue and the script referred to it as Haddonfield Clinic, which was not a fully staffed hospital. 
Uh, the voice of Annie's friend heard over the phone is the voice of Nancy Loomis, who played Annie in the first Halloween movie and was also in Halloween 2. Uh, Halloween 2 was originally written to take place in a high-rise apartment building. Later in the script meeting, however, the setting was changed to a hospital, which I think was better. Um, Lance Guest did his own stunt work when he tripped over the blood and fell on the floor. Moreover, the scene was done in a single take. That's kind of a strange character to add to. I wasn't sure what was going on. Uh, that character really didn't go much anywhere. Uh, one of two films in the series to begin with the ending of the previous film. The other is Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Uh, John Carpenter turned down an offer to direct as he initially had no desire to become involved in the project anyway. However, several of his people convinced him to stay as executive producers. He at least earned some of the money from the franchise back. He also liked the fact that it could help give a new director a chance to make a movie as the first film had done for him. He ended up producing and writing the screenplay and later got involved in editing and reshoots. And we already said, first of two Halloween movies directed by Richard Rosenthal. The other is Halloween Resurrection. One of a batch of suspense and horror movies made during the late 70s, early 80s, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, who, of course, went on to be known as a Scream Queen. The films included Halloween 20, the what we were just talking about, Halloween, then Prom Night, The Fog, Road Games, Terror Train, and, of course, this movie, Halloween 2. In 1981, interviewing Fangoria magazine, Deborah Hill told of how they had considered making this movie 3D. We investigated a number of 3D processes, but they were far too expensive for this particular project. Also, most of the projects we do involve a lot of night shooting, um, and it's hard to do that in 3D. Uh, the people that did the hot tub scene... Pamela Susan Shoup and Leo Rossi um, said that the water was not too clean. I think she ended up getting an ear infection, um, and the water was very cold, but they did it anyway. Um, until 2018, this is one of the only two Halloween films released by Universal Studios. After mass success of the first film, Universal picked up the sequel, when Halloween 3 Season the Witch did not fare well, Universal gave the rights to Trancus International, an affiliate of Universal who produced the, the films until 1989. In 1986, the rights were sold to Miramax. Leo Rossi, the guy in the hot tub scene, introduced Jamie Lee Curtis to her future husband, Christopher Guest, through their mutual celebrity softball league. Uh, Lance Guest, Jimmy, who was relatively unknown when he made this movie, went in on to star also with Dan O'Hara, who played Cochran from Halloween 3 in the movie The Last Starfighter, which was directed by Nick Castle, who played The Shape in the first Halloween. So, small world. Um, let's see. Around five and a half months after this film was released, Another horror hospital picture with a crazed killer was launched called Visiting Hours. Both films feature a skull on their main movie posters. For Halloween 2, it was superimposed over a pumpkin. For Visiting Hours, it was formed with a pattern of switched-on lights within the darkened-shaped building of a hospital, darkened-shaped hospital building. 
Um, let's see. Universal Pictures released this film on Blu-ray in the U.S. in 2011. It was packaged as a 30th anniversary edition and included deleted scenes, etc. Some controversy arose, though, when the Universal had removed the credit Mustafa Akkad Presents and replaced it with Universal and MCA Company Presents in a font that did not match the rest of the opening credit. Akkad's son, Malik Akkad, called the skunk disgusting, quote, disgusting, it's a disgrace, obviously biased, objectively a horror uh, fan would find this an insult to the man who's done so much for the series and to come after his tragic death, he's not around to defend himself. So they later um, changed that and said that they would replace copies of anyone who had it who asked for them. In the original Halloween, Dr. Loomis fires six shots from his revolver to stop Michael in Halloween 2. During the replay of the scene from the first movie, he fires seven shots. Also, when Michael falls from the terrace, there's an obvious ramp leading to the top of the railing. Most of the killings in this movie occur on November the 1st, although Michael got the ball rolling on Halloween night in the first movie. Uh, most of the killings, with the exception of security guard, occurred after midnight, November the 1st. This is one of the only slasher films in 1981 to remain uncut. Like others, they have been heavily cut by the MPAA, such as Friday the 13th Part 2 and My Bloody Valentine. Sam Hain. The word painted in blood on the chalkboard was Sam Hain. The Celtic word refers to an ancient Irish festival at the end of summer on October the 31st, the Festival of Sam Hain. However, Dr. Loomis refers to it as the title being the name of a god of worship, the Lord of the Dead. Samhain is a Gaelic festival marking the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter, or the darker half of the year. Most commonly it is held on the 31st of October, on halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice, along with, oh, I can't read these other festivals, but there are four Gaelic seasonal festivals. This one, Ambolic, Beltane, and I have no idea how to say this. It's L-U-D-H-N-A-S-A-D-H. They were observed in Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man. The film's main movie poster tagline, More of the Night He Came Home, was an extension of the one on the original poster, which was The Night He Came Home. Most of the actors portraying the hospital staff were in Rick Rosenthal's acting class. The U.S. released prints uh, with, quote, a Dino De Laurentiis Corporation film, while international prints open with Mustafa Akkad Presents. And Halloween 2 marks the last Halloween movie that Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Pleasance were in together. This is one of nine collaborations between Pleasance and John Carpenter, the other movies um, were, of course, the other Halloween movies, but also Prince of Darkness from 1987 and Escape from New York from 1981. Even though both stars had top billing alongside Donald Pleasant, Jamie Lee Curtis and Charles Cyphers had very little screen time compared to the first film. Jamie Lee only had 25 minutes of screen time. Charles Cypher only had 20 minutes of screen time. So not much. And as we said before, this is the first film feature film by
by Rick Rosenthal. Nick Castle did not reprise his role in the sequel Halloween 2 because he was busy starting his directing career. He was replaced by Dick Warlock, who developed a strong following among fans of Halloween. And Donald Pleasance, who plays a character... Oh, he also plays a character called Loomis in another non-Halloween-themed movie called Innocent Bystanders in 1972. Two cast members of Halloween 2, Anne-Marie Martin and Billy Warlock, appear on the daytime soap opera Days of Our Life during the 80s as Gwen Davies and Frankie Brady. Uh, let's see, two of the actors appear in multiple episodes of the TV series The Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman, Charles Cyphers, played a space alien in three episodes of The Six Million Dollar Man and one episode of The Bionic Woman. Ford Rainey has a recurring role as Steve Austin's father in both shows. Dick Warlock is one of two actors who played Michael to have an official website, the other being George P. Wilbur. Two actors in the movie appeared in the Jaws franchise, Jeremy Kramer in Jaws 1 and Jaws 2, while Lance Guest appeared in Jaws The Revenge. The 17-year-old who was hit by a police car and burned alive, first believed to be Michael Myers, was of course Ben Tramer, the boy that Laurie had a crush on in the first Halloween movie. The name Ben Trainer, which I already mentioned, is reference to John Carpenter's friend, Bennett Trainer. They went to USC together. And Bennett Tramer wrote episodes for Saved by the Bell. In addition to his role as the shape, Dick Warlock also appeared as a police officer who accidentally hits Ben Tramer with his police car and crashes into the van. Uh, he also did all of his own stunts as Michael Myers. When Michael Myers tries to attack Lori as she's climbing through a window, the scaffold he is holding is actually an eraser on a stick. Uh, Jimmy's fate is left unclear in the theatrical cut of this movie as he collapses in his car. Remember, he slipped on blood and knocked himself unconscious uh, from the concussion that he got. However, in the alternate ending, he's revealed to have survived with bandages on his head and shares an ambulance with Lori and is transported to another hospital. Michael Myers was shot a total of 14 times in this film, seven before he escaped from the Dole residence, um, which, as I already said, is a continuity error. With the first movie, five after confronting Dr. Loomis, Lori, and Nurse Marion Chambers on the front doors at the front doors of the clinic, and twice by Lori in the operating room. And Alicia hit a desk uh, at around 57 minutes and cut one of her eyes during the shooting during her death scene, and she had to be taken to the hospital where she got 12 stitches. She wanted to continue the scene, but Rick Rosenthal uh, yelled cut. In the cafeteria, she is seen with Janet, Buddy, and Jimmy, and is shot from different angles so they cannot see her uh, show her stitches the body count in halloween 2 is 10 9 killed by michael and one of course poor ben killed in a traffic accident uh interestingly the kid with the boom box at about 26 minutes in who walks past michael is played by dick warlock's real life son lance warlock and his other son uh billy warlock appears as a teenager named craig who asked deputy gary if he's seen Bennett Tramer, 
Um, Janet's death scene is completely misperceived by viewers and critics from appearing as if Michael inserted a syringe into her eye due to the angle and brevity of the shot. However, close scrutiny on the DVD and Blu-ray shows that the needle actually was inserted into her temple where he injected a large air, air bubble into her brain. Dana Carvey made his film debut in this movie. I didn't even notice that. He plays an assistant. He was seen receiving instructions from a blonde reporter in front of the Wallace house. Carvey can be seen again at the end of the movie at 1 hour 27 minutes when the film crew follows Lori to the waiting ambulance. Which I missed that one. Um, and the scene, as we already mentioned, the kid with the boombox is the only link that Michael has to know to go to the hospital because that's where Lori is. I'm not going to go over this uh, new scenes inserted for uh, TV to make the show longer. It was Deputy Hunter's yellow lighter offered to Dr. Loomis while the Myers house was being attacked by the locals that sets off the explosion and consumes both he and Michael Myers at the end of the movie. Alice is the only casualty of the Elrod stolen kitchen knife. Michael stabs her to death with a knife but never uses it again as he starts heading to the hospital instead of using a scalpel in the film and both of those were created in order to make the movie longer. In the hospital, Lori dreams about her mother telling her she's adopted and the visiting and visiting a boy in the hospital. Later it becomes clear that the boy is young Michael. The revelation that Michael is Lori's older brother suggested in the opening of the first film when he walks towards his parents with a bloody knife while they are coming out of the car, he might well have been on his way to murder her, his little sister while she was sitting in the back seat. The defeat of Michael Myers at the end of the film bears a similarity to the defeat of Count Dracula at the end of Dracula, which Donald Pleasant also appeared in. And Ben Trammer's death is foreshadowing the way Michael allegedly died at the end. Both characters were completely engulfed in flames as a result of the explosion. Okay, here's another song for you. This time, this is the Silver Shamrocks Jingle, which is by John Carpenter and Alan Horwath. This is not the theme, but is the, the catchy TV commercial that you will not be able to get out of your head. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween.
met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. commercial for Halloween 3. As we said before, Halloween 3 was supposed to be the first in the anthology series. It has nothing to do with the rest of the franchise, so I am going to go ahead and skip the trivia on that one. Uh, Next up, Halloween 4 trivia. Um, Daniel Harris sold the clown costume to a fan, and Michael in this movie is played by George P. Wilbur. Dwight H. Little did extensive research on the history of Halloween, and many of the harvest images were put in the creepy opening sequence. As we said before, the opening sequence on several of these movies, one and two, um, and then three has a digital intro with a pumpkin. Um, So those are all pumpkins, but then Halloween 4's intro is outside a deserted farm with some creepy images. Uh, The girl, Lindsay, who drove Rachel and Jamie to the discount mart was going to be revealed to be Lindsay Wallace from the original member, the two kids they were babysitting, and to have a larger part in the film as Rachel's friend and helping her babysit Jamie, but that was cut for budget reasons. 
The third boy hanging around with Brady and Wade in the drugstore was meant to be Tommy Doyle from the original movie. This script was written by Alan P. Elroy in 11 Days and got done hours before the writer's strike began. Series creator John Carpenter wrote a treatment for this film that had a more ghastly psychological approach to the Michael Myers mythos. It concerned the town of Haddonfield and what effect the events of the first two films had on its citizens. The concept was later rejected by the producers in favor of the typical slasher fare, at which point Carpenter left the film, making it the first of the series that he was not participated that he had not participated in. In late 1986, the Cannon Group, producers um, Golan and Globus, contracted producer Deborah Hill and director John Carpenter to work on screenplay for a new Halloween film that was going to be entitled Halloween 4, as they were interested in optioning rights, much like Cannon had done with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Cannon did not like the treatment that Carpenter and Hill turned in and ultimately decided not to produce the film. Shortly afterwards, Carpenter and Hill sold their remaining interest in the Halloween series to producer Mustafa Akkad, who promptly developed the film from a completely new script fashioned after the slasher boom of the 1980s. A scene was filmed to bridge the story from Halloween 2 to this movie. It was a flashback of the finale of Part 2, with a scene where Loomis is being tended to by paramedics when he sees the burning body of the shape. Loomis explained to EMS uh, technicians to let him burn, but they douse his flaming body despite his pleas. This moment was added to Halloween Kills, which will be up next year, with Lori saying this line after she sets his house on fire with Michael trapped at the end of Halloween 2018. Uh, the shot lasted for 41 days, and Ellie Cornell and Daniel Harris were required to be on set for, 46, for 36 of those days. Uh, during production on a rooftop scene, Ellie Cornell was injured by a protruding nail as she slid down the roof. After a quick trip to a local hospital, she finished the scene with her bandages in place. According to Daniel Harris, it didn't faze her at all. Interestingly, Mike... Um, Lookendale, Peter Brady of uh, The Brady Bunch, was an assistant producer on this movie, and his wife, Kelly Lockenland, played the dead actress, and if you remember uh, their reality TV series, um, I saw a little bit of that, so I vaguely remember it. The Vincent Drugstore that Jamie goes into to buy a costume from is seen five years later in The Sandlot when Smalls is on his way to The Sandlot for the first time. George P. Wilbur wore hockey pads under the jumpsuit to give Michael Myers a much more imposing figure. This is revealed in the documentary Inside Halloween 5, where it's revealed that Don Shanks, who played Michael Myers in Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, was big enough that he did not require that. Daniel Harris revealed in 25 Years of Terror uh, when her character runs through the neighborhood screaming for anyone 
to call the police. I was banging on doors, yelling for someone to help me. I got lost, trick-or-treating or something. So 5 a.m. in the morning, they were hearing screaming in the street, and people actually called the police who arrived to see what was going on. This is the film debut of Danielle Harris. I think she did a really good job. And this film was the first time Michael Myers is credited with his name as opposed to being called The Shape. Uh, Ethicon was recently interviewed by Blumhouse, which produced, of course, the last Halloween movie. And he said the idea was that the town, after all these terrible murders 10 years earlier, had banned Halloween. They didn't recognize Halloween as a holiday. They didn't want Halloween masks or costumes or Halloween candy. As you know, Hunt, the deputy from the first two movies, Hunt is now the sheriff, and 10 years of repression and suppression has boiled to the surface, and there are some hints that he is back. So I foresaw on posters the wording, the night he came back again. They instead went with, 10 years ago, he changed the face of Halloween. Tonight, he's back. Uh, in a cut scene, Michael is coincidentally looking for a new mask at the store at the same time Jerry... Jamie is, he grabs a Ronald Reagan mask and walks off. A few seconds later, he throws it away and grabs the bleached William Shatner mask instead. That's pretty funny. On filming the film, Daniel Harris kept the clown costume and wore it trick-or-treating, according to Joe Bob Briggs, who does the last drive-in on Cheddar. And, of course, as we know, she later sold it to a fan or gave it to her cousin or something. The H4 mask was recently, has received primarily mixed reactions from fans. Many stated that the mask's appearance was too blank. Some have found its expression to be more clown-like than the original. The quality of the mask has been criticized as it appears more clumsy than others. Others praised the emotionless manufactured style look, citing the similarity to cheaper store-bought masks. I really, there's lots of... of information about the masks. I'm really not into the masks that much, so I'm not going to go into all of that. Michael Myers obtained a new set of overalls from a gas station named Penny's on the way to Haddonfield. In the first two films, Michael wears a set of spruce green colored Big Mac overalls purchased from J.C. Penny. In 1988, the Writers Guild of America went on strike for 155 days, beginning in March and ending in August, making it at the time the longest strike in WGA history. This directly impacted countless films and TV shows and left just 11 days to complete the script. In the original script, Sheriff Meeker was killed in a battle with Michael in the basement where the furnace was knocked over, causing the house to catch on fire. Originally, the house was supposed to be up in flames uh, during the infamous rooftop sequence. This was eliminated due to budgetary sequences and Sheriff Meeker was kept alive. Uh, George P. Wilbur plays Michael in this movie. said his favorite kill was when he kills Kelly Meeker, played by Kathleen Kenment, by pinning her to the wall with a shotgun, which is reminiscent of the earlier Bob scene and Halloween. After viewing a rough cut, it was decided that the movie was too soft, so the producers bought a special effects expert, John Carl uh, Butchler, for one day for extra blood filming. The thumb in the forehead and the rednecks 
head getting twisted were both done by him. The body count in this movie is 19, including one dog. As we know, unfortunately, Michael likes to kill dogs. The original ending had Rachel go upstairs, take a shower, and replace the dirty, bloody-lined clothes she was wearing, only to have Jamie sneak up behind her and stab her to death. This scene was later changed um, to have her stab her foster mother instead. In the original script, Rachel hit Michael five times while shooting. They reduced the number to three and edited it, and it came out as one. While Rachel is talking to Deputy Logan about when they come home, you can barely briefly see a glimpse of Michael looking at them in the backyard. The scene in which Michael kills a mechanic was originally shown with Michael stabbing the mechanic in the throat with a crowbar. It was ultimately cut because it was deemed too gory. Jamie's dog Sunday is the third dog to die in the series. Like I said, Michael unfortunately likes to kill dogs. Um, many of the pictures in Jamie Danielle, Hel Danielle Harris's shoebox are of her mother, Lori Strode, and many of them are production pictures from earlier Halloween movies. This is the first movie in the series that Michael kills before October the 31st. He murders four people in an ambulance on the night of October the 30th. Um, now I would like to play from Halloween 5 uh, a song called Evil Jailbreak by Alan Hallworth. Again, this is from Halloween 5.
skip the trivia for Halloween 5 uh, and go on to Halloween 6, which is the end of one of the timelines. So Halloween 6, Paul Rudd's film debut. It was filmed before Clueless in 1995, and it's his first big screen appearance. Most of the cast and crew disowned this movie on Halloween 25 Years of Terror, the DVD. They stated that the studio producers and directors interfered and argued to the point of ridiculousness, which resulted in a very poorly directed and edited movie. And as I said before, this movie was pretty much a hot mess. Um, Danielle Harris had wanted to reprise her role of Jamie, but when they were in negotiations, Dimension Films would only pay her $5,000 for the role, and so she declined, which is uh, kind of a shame given that she is one of the main characters of this franchise. The producers of the movie wanted Brian Anderson to reprise his role as Tommy Doyle uh, from the original Halloween movie. However, he didn't have an agent. They couldn't find him. And um, so, let's see. He regretted missing the opportunity, especially as, um, yeah, forget it. Anyway, they couldn't find him. The original title of the movie was Halloween 666, The Origin of Michael Myers, There are even existing ad prints and early trailers with that title. Later it became Halloween 6, and finally Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers. It was Daniel Ferrans who suggested that the film be called The Curse of Michael Myers due to the troubled production. Um, as a result of Donald Pleasant's death, as well as creative differences between Joe Chappelle and the producer, an alleged bad test screening of the original work, the famous producer's cut is what it's called. Uh, reshots were done as well as edits to the anger of most of the cast and crew. Many vowed never to make another Halloween movie as long as they lived. This is the only Halloween movie in the entire franchise to be filmed in the fall. Daniel Farron's original script was more moody and psychological than the final draft. After reading the script, one of the execs at Dimension could not sleep that night and therefore called Farron's immediately and told him they wanted to go forward with it. Donald Pleasance himself supported the original script and immediately signed on to make the movie, only to find out that the script had been rewritten. Daniel Ferrans had his initial intent for Halloween 6 to bridge the, um, the later films 4 and 5 in the series to the earlier films 1 and 2, while at the same time taking the story in a new direction. Um, and then after, we already talked about the screening didn't go well, but this says in early 95 after the screening... Marianne Hagen said that the screening audience basically consisted of 14-year-old boys. During the Q&A afterwards, one of them expressed great displeasure at the end of the movie, which entailed a Celtic ritual and the passing of the Curse of Thorn on to Dr. Loomis's character. So then they ended up changing the ending and doing reshoots. Uh, in the original draft of the movie, when John comes home from work, he turns on the TV, and the scene is from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. The producer's cut of this movie contains a lot less gore than the theatrical cut. 
according to Daniel Harris from the special feature on Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, audiences were booing in the theater when her mother went to see the film. <laughs> um... Producer Paul Freeman and Joe Chappelle reportedly rewrote the ending on set even from the shot shot to shot as produ- production deadlines loomed. Freeman also sent the crew home during crucial scenes when they needed them, deleted scripted scenes indiscriminately, rewrote dialogue and action sequences, and took it upon himself to direct second unit shots as well as supervise the post-production phase of the original cut and made a series of blunders that resulted in Miramax taking control of the film and ordering reshoots. While Daniel Ferens thinks both versions of the film are poor, he considers the producer's cut to be the supervisor's version. When Michael was chasing Tommy, Kara, Danny, and baby Stephen down the hallway, Michael was played by A. Michael Lerner, the Smith Grove doctor running from... Michael was also a Michael Lerner's real-life father. Many of the crew have gone on record to state that director Joe Chappelle told them from the outset that he didn't like Halloween movies. He was only involved in the production because he got a three-picture deal with Miramax. His next two films after that were both, of course, Miramax releases. Alternately, Daniel Ferenz was a longtime fan of the series and he compiled a notebook filled with research, including a timeline, bios of all the character, family tree of Myers and Strode's family, and research on the runic symbol of thorn that appeared in Halloween 5. Peter Jackson was asked to direct. The film was mostly shot in Salt Lake, which experienced an early winter, which proved troublesome to the production. The original concept of the Thorn Cult apparently was much more in the vein of Roman Polanski's vision of the Satanists in Rosemary's Baby, more mundane and real life as opposed to what Daniel Ferrans called the Temple of Doom version in the final film with underground layers, altars, robes, and hoods. This is the only film in the series that has a male protagonist. Um... Sadly, Donald Pleasance, as I said, passed away as the film was heading into reshoots and they used a body double for those shots. Howard Stern was originally offered the role of shock jock Barry Sims, but he turned it down. At one time, Scott Spiegel was going to direct and his friend Quentin Tarantino produce. Many of Donald Pleasant's scenes were edited out of the film because Joe Chappelle found him, quote, boring. According to Marianne Hagen, she almost did not receive the leading role of Kara Strode. Miramax Pictures purportedly did not like her physical appearance, deeming her too thin and her chin too pointy. Uh, in January 1995, Entertainment Tonight aired a segment on the making of the film where it reportedly called Halloween 6, Michael's Back, 
The film was never released in any territory with that name. And then there's a whole other plot with the Strode family and Kira and her son, but we won't go into that. The writer and filmmaker's intentions with the script was to ultimately unveil what they had kept Michael alive and the reasons he, for his killing. They decided upon using the curse of Thorn Angle, which is the concept that Michael had been under the influence of an ancient Celtic curse that drove him to murder all family members in his bloodline. Once his task was completed, the curse would be passed on to another young child. Uh, Ferran's original script was much grander and deeper conspiracy theory that ultimately revealed much of the town of Haddonfield was in on the mystery. He also allowed a third act for the character of Jamie that had brought her face-to-face -face with the shape once again for one final battle. The symbol used in the film is suggested to be a druid symbol and thus Celtic in reality. The runes are of Germanic origin. However, the symbol does relate to magic. Denise Richards was considered at one point for the part of Beth. The script went through 11 different drafts. No wonder it's a mess. It is the only film in the series without an opening title sequence. The Man in Black's arrival at the Strode's house was originally written as a point of view shot similar to young Michael's introduction in the original Halloween like many of the movie's spookier scenes from Ferran's script, it was cut out the day of shooting. The script is loaded with references and nods to earlier Halloween films and other Carpenter movies. The Strode's parents were named John and Deborah after Carpenter and Deborah Hill. There's also mention of a stomach pounder during breakfast, a nod to the fog. The lady who runs the boarding house, Mrs. Blankenship, is named after a character mentioned in Halloween 3. Alan Horowitz's score was redone when the movie went through reshoots. He, I don't think he's too happy about that. The script originally opened with a montage of sorts featuring scenes from earlier films to bring us up to speed. The H6 curse map, mask received a much better reaction with many praising how similar it looked to the original. However, some fans said the mask was too large or made Michael look like a bobblehead doll or that the hair was too messy. Again, I don't really care about the mask. Um, the woman that replaced Daniel Harris to play the part of uh, Jamie Lloyd for like 10 minutes was J.C. Brandy. Uh, J.C. Brandy's portrayal of Jamie Lloyd Paul Rudd's portrayal of Tommy Doyle and Mitchell Rudd's portrayal of Dr. Wynn in this film um, mark the only time in the Halloween series that recurring characters were recast, recast with different actors. Of course, Daniel Harris was Jamie in 4 and 5, Brian Andrews was Tommy in 1, and Robert Phelan was Dr. Wynn in the first movie. Uh, there are multiple scripted endings, including one where Kira, Tommy, and the baby 
and up back at the bus station only seeing Kara and the baby disappear, leaving Tommy holding the bag and looking guilty for much of what happened. Another one saw Dr. Wynn fly away on a helicopter, only to have it explode due to a bomb in his bag. Uh, the exchange between Dr. Loomis and Dr. Lynn after the revelation of the man in black was extended in the script. Wynn's dialogue at his office points out that Michael's rampage of terror was not coincidental. The constellations representing the thorn demon appeared in 1978, 88, 89, and 95, accounting for the dates of the massacre. Wynn always monitored Myers and even taunts Loomis by thanking him sarcastically when Loomis almost made sure to capture Michael and bring him back. Wynn also blatantly reveals that it was him who taught Michael how to drive. <laughs> the film begins with a flashback to the ending of Halloween 5 to explain that Jamie was kidnapped after the police station massacre by the man in black and held by the Thorn cult. However, at the end of the last film, it was shown that the man in black had already fled with Michael Myers and Jamie had arrived at the station after they left and was not taken. So go figure. An earlier version of Jamie's death had her stabbed with a knife and not with farm equipment. The producer's cut had extra scenes with Jamie at the hospital. The doctors removed the knife from her body. Later, Jamie lies unconscious in the hospital bed. She has flashbacks of her uh, impregnation during the ritual conducted by the man in black and his associates. It is strongly complied that Michael Myers impregnated her to pass on the curse. As Jamie is dreaming, the man in black walks inside the room and remarks that her work is done. He eventually shoots her to death. The body count here is 20. And I already talked about Danny's Strode subplot uh, not going anywhere, so I will not do that again. Uh, we are on to Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 and 2 movies. Again, I already covered those during, I think, episode 14 of this podcast when we did all the Rob Zombie movies so I won't go over that again we already talked about them a little bit briefly so now I'd like to play some more music this one is The Shape Kills and it's by John Carpenter his son Jody Carpenter and Daniel um, Davies Halloween H2O. During the scene where Norma is leaving, she stands in front of a car from Psycho from 1960. The music playing in the background at this part is also from Psycho. Janet Lee, who plays Norma, played Marion, of course, in Psycho, and the license plate on the car is the same as the second car Marion buys in Psycho. The license plate number is NFB418, which is Norma Bates's initials. Jamie Lee Curtis considered this film a thank you to her fans, saying, Without the early career, I don't think I would have been an actor. 
LL Cool J's line, Comb Your, Comb Your Hair, was ad-libbed, inspired by Josh Harnett's messy haircut. This movie was originally supposed to be a sequel to Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Kevin Williamson's original treatment included a scene in which Halloween 4, Halloween 5, and Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers were all referenced and acknowledged as being in the continuity and canon. Um, the scene was filmed and it involved Sarah, the student at the high school where Laurie Strode teaches under the name Carrie Tate. Sarah gives a class report about the Haddonfield murders, going into great detail about Jamie Lloyd, Laurie Strode's daughter from Halloween 4 through 6, uh, played by Daniel Harris and J.C. Brandy. Sarah mentions Jamie losing her parents in a car accident, as was the explanation in those sequels for Jamie Strode's absence. But, of course, that didn't happen. Um... John Carpenter was originally in negotiations to be the director since Jamie Lee Curtis wanted to reunite the cast and crew of the original. It's believed that Carpenter opted out because he wanted no active part in the sequel. However, that's not the case. He had agreed to direct the movie, but his starting salary as director was $10 million and he wanted a three-picture deal with Dimension Films. Carter rationalizing this by saying the hefty fee was compensation for revenue he never received from the original Halloween movie, a matter, as I said previously, that was still a point of contention between Carpenter and producer Mustafa Akkad some 20 years later, up until when Akkad, uh, Akkad passed away. When Akkad and Dimensions Films' Weinstein brothers balked at Carpenter's demands, he walked away from the project. LL Cool J has always been a fan of the Halloween movies. His mother took him to see the original when he was nine years old. Um, before he knew Jeremy Lee Curtis was involved, Josh Harnett wasn't sure he wanted to audition. He said, Halloween, is that going straight to video or is that going straight to hell? One of the scenes at school where Charlie... Uh, played by Adam Han Bird, tells John Josh Harnett, 20 years from now, you're still going to be living with her, probably running some weird motel out in the middle of nowhere. That is, of course, a reference to Psycho uh, from 1960, where Jamie Lee Curtis's mother played Janet Lee. This is Janet Lee's first role in a feature film in some 18 years. Her previous theatrical uh, film was The Fog, also with her daughter, Jamie Lee Curtis. During the credits on the prologue, Dr. Samuel Loomis' dialogue from the first film about Michael's incarceration is heard. The studio was unable to retrieve the unmixed audio from the original scene to reuse and was forced to tap voice actor Tom Kane to imitate Donald Pleasance, who played Dr. Loomis in the first six films and, of course, had passed away at that point. P.J. Souls was approached for the role of Carrie Tate, Laurie Strode's secretary. Souls never gave a straight answer as to what she wanted to do, skeptical about returning to the series as someone completely different than her original character, Linda, because she had been killed off in the first movie. Uh, she eventually lost the role to Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, who was approached after they didn't hear anything back from Souls. 
In the scene where Jamie Lee's character speaks to Lori, she asks if she can, quote, offer some maternal advice, which, of course, that is her mother she's speaking to. The directors and writers decided to treat this movie as if Halloween 3 through 6 had never happened. This was a decision made to leave the plot simple and focus on Lori's character. The original working title for this film was Halloween 7, The Revenge of Lori Strode, a clear pun on Halloween 5, The Curse of Michael Myers. On the television in the girls' room, a clip from Scream 2 is playing, a callback to numerous Halloween references and clips in Scream. However, according to producer Mustafa Akkad, when the scenes were filmed, the girls were actually watching So I Married an Axe Murder from 1993. This made for an entirely different joke. A movie featuring Michael Myers had his character watching the star of So I Married an Axe Murder, who was Michael Myers from SNL. The clip was later changed to screen two in post-production. During a 2018 interview with Variety, Jamie Lee Curtis says H2O started out with the best intentions, but it ended up being a money grab. Um, the film had some good things in it. It talked about alcoholism and trauma, but I ended up really doing it for the paycheck. In certain scenes, Michael can be seen wearing two different masks. The director decided well into production to go with a different mask, so certain scenes were reshot. Some scenes where the original mask can still be seen, and in one shot, it has been altered by CGI to replace Michael's old mask with the new one. In the original Halloween, Jamie uh, Lee Curtis Laurie answers a question about fate after seeing Michael outside the high school. In Halloween H2O, Laurie asks Molly a question about the novel Frankenstein, which she answers by discussing the fate of Dr. Frankenstein. When she finishes, she sees Michael standing in a doorway outside the school. The line, everyone is entitled to one good scare, is said by Norita Laurie, Sheriff Brackett. Charles Cyphers originally said this in the first Halloween movie. Jamie Lee Curtis recalls Josh Harnett being someone who wanted to be an actor but didn't want the trappings of stardom. He would wear a knit beanie on set at all times, remove it to film the scenes, and then immediately return it to his head as a way of retaining his personality. I respected him for it. It was annoying, but I respected him for it, she said. Michelle Williams signed on without ever having seen any Halloween movies. Uh, Michelle Lee Curtis's nickname for the actor playing Michael Myers, which in this movie is Chris Durand, was Shapey. Jamie Lee Curtis originally wanted Lori's life to be in shambles at the start of the movie. Executive producer Kevin Williamson convinced her that Lori should have more to lose. And the newspaper clippings in the beginning were all meant to be the only link to Halloween 4 through 6 after a scene in the classroom where a student summarizes what happened in those uh, sequels was cut, as we already mentioned. The clippings would have included clues such as a mysterious cult keeps murders hushed up in Haddonfield and Jamie Lloyd missing with dates such as 1995 and 1989, but in the end, only one headline uh, clue was left, and that is a picture of a pair of bloody scissors that may have been the ones that were used to kill Rachel Carruthers in Halloween 5. When asked if they gave any thought to who J. 
John, Josh Harnett's father was, both Steve Miner and Jamie Lee Curtis said it doesn't matter. Director Steve Miner also directed two films in another popular horror series, as I already said, Friday the 13th Part 2 and Friday the 13th Part 3. Uh, this is the third time Janet Lee has worked with her mother. Jamie Lee Curtis has worked with her mother, Janet Lee, on screen. They both appeared in the same episode of the television series The Love Boat in 1978. And as I said previously, they were both in the fog together. The original treatment for H2O by Williamson was much more sparse with character detail and had a radically different ending. In the place of Nancy Stevenson's character, um, you had the traditional trademark Williamson Open. A new character was originally created called Rachel Loomis, Dr. Sam Loomis's daughter. She would have the computer files on Laurie Strode slash Carrie Tate on her home computer. Rachel would come home discover the computer um, on and would swiftly be dispatched by the shape. Also in the climax of the treatment, there's a massive helicopter and bus chase sequence culminating in the downed helicopter spinning out of control and decapitating the shape with its out-of-control rotor, a la Mission Impossible. But of course that didn't happen. Curtis's stunt double broke her foot during the scene where they're driving the car and have to stop to open the gate. She slammed on the brakes and the anti-lock brakes pushed back on her. Jamie Lee Curtis is not a fan of her film Virus from 1999. She says it's the worst movie ever made, adding that she lobbied hard to have the director fired and replaced with Steve Miner. He was unavailable, though, as he was working on Dawson's Creek, which is where he met Kevin Williamson, who was eventually brought in to work on the film script. Um, the school buses used to show how all the school students are leaving for a break were picked up by the studio on the cheap and didn't come with seats. Contrary to public belief, sorry, my page won't load. Uh, contrary to popular belief, Kevin Williamson was in fact not the original writer of the film. Originally, Robert Zappia was hired to pin Halloween Two Faces of Evil, which was planned as a direct-to-video uh, movie after the modest box office performance of Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers. His original script was set in a fenced-in boarding school as does the finished film. However, when Jamie Lee Curtis expressed interest in returning to the series, Kevin Williamson, who was coming off his blockbuster success for Scream, was asked by Dimension Films to pin a treatment that added Laurie Strode. When the Writers Guild of America deemed that Williamson did not deserve writing credit on the screenplay, Dimension Films, hoping to market the film as, quote, from the creator of Scream, offered Zappia more money to share the writing credit. Zappia declined, so the studio made Williamson an executive producer and gave him credit in that way. During the commentary track, Steve Miner said he views this as a direct sequel to Carpenter's original Halloween. He later added that the film needed to end with Laurie killing her brother, a plot point that was first introduced in Halloween 2.
The body count here is seven with two off screen. And uh, the quote, don't drop the freaking knife, was yelled by Curtis on the commentary as Lori drops the knife. And she said, I could have punched her in the nose right there. She added that they made her drop the knife in the first film and isn't sure why she didn't learn from her mistakes. The teenagers at the beginning of the movie are watching Plan 9 from Outer Space from 1957. The majority of John Ottoman's original score was rejected in post-production and replaced with Marco Beltrami's scores. Uh, and, of course, he's also done Screen, Mimic, and a bunch of other stuff. The producers wanted a darker, more Scream-like score, while Ottoman's score wasn't strong enough to fit the bill. Some of what remained of Ottoman's score was heavily edited and often used for scenes for which they were not originally intended. Nonetheless, Ottoman's work was later released in its entirety on an album called Portrait of Terror. One month after the film was released, Jamie Lee Curtis got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Charles S. Dutton was originally supposed to have a small role as a detective. However, that part was removed as the script was rewritten. Uh, Norma Janet Lee tells Carrie... That the girl's shower is clogged again. This is a reference to Janet Lee's role in Psycho, where she is butchered in the famous shower scene. Charles Durand, who plays Michael Myers, was born in 1963, the same year his character killed his older sister, Judith. When Jimmy is first shown, he's wearing a hockey mask, which is undoubtedly a reference to Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th. Director Steve Miner, of course, directed two movies in that franchise. During the opening credits, there's a yearbook photo where Laurie Strode is part of the class of 78, meaning she graduated in 78. However, in the original film, Laurie is in school during the fall of 78. Although it's not mentioned what grade she's in, she would have been in the class of 79, 80, or 81. Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Williams bonded over books, and the young actress gave Curtis a first edition. Uh, the title is unnamed of a book when they rapped, and Saint Jamie Lee said she was very intellectual. Jamie Lee Curtis said they had asked Michael Myers to get a cameo in the movie by walking down the street past Laurie, and she does a double take when she sees him, but they said no. He said no. This is the third highest grossing film in the franchise, according to Box Office Mojo. Jamie Lee Curtis first worked with director Steve Miner on Forever Young from 1992, which was J.J. Abrams' first produced script. She approached the Halloween 13th Part 2 director after tackling this film after Carpenter walked away from the project. First film in the series to be released in the summer, Every film since, including Rob Zombie's, followed this trend, with the exception of Halloween, which came out around Halloween. That was Halloween 2018. So I guess they moved from uh, doing it Halloween to try to get the summer uh, blockbuster crowd. No official soundtrack was ever released for this film, but a compilation album by John Ottman was released in the U.S. and Germany under the 
Varus, V-A-R-E-S-E, Saraband, S-A-R-A-B-A-N-D label, and includes the original score. Most of the film was shot in Stage 24 in the back lot of Universal Studios, which is located right by where the studio tram, tour tram, comes by. Every time the tram would drive by, Adam Hand Baird would run out with his prosthetic neck, gushing fake blood everywhere, trying to get a rise out of the tourist. He'd stumble up and try to grab them. They all thought it was part of the show. He was, however, able to orchestrate some really nice gross-out moments at the studio commissary during lunchtime. On one of the newspaper clippings seen during the opening scenes, a picture of Dr. Loomis can be seen. While the H2O mask uh, was applauded for trying to look more like the original films, it was ultimately disliked by audiences due in no small part to the fact that there were four masks used in production. These four masks are the KNB mask, the Butchler mask, a Stan Winston mask, and a CGI mask. Again, as I said before, not really much into the masks. Uh, Mustafa Akkad, the executive producer, said the killer in H2O was not actually Michael Myers, but in fact a copycat killer, and that this would be explained in the next movie. The idea was dropped for Halloween Resurrection, which explained the reappearance of Michael Myers by revealing that he had traded places with a paramedic at the end of H2O, who had been mistaken for Michael and was subsequently beheaded by Laurie. This is the one time a plan for Michael Myers to speak a single line at the end of the there was at one time a plan for Michael Myers to speak a single line at the end of the movie. He was to have said Lori just before being beheaded. This idea was dropped from the initial script. Nurse Marion Chambers previously survived against Michael in the original Halloween when he escaped from Smith's Grove Sanitarium by trying to strangle her inside the car. In this, she's not so lucky. She gets her throat slashed by Michael with the butcher knife. According to Jamie Lee Curtis, it was producer Mustafa Akkad's contract that Michael Myers couldn't actually die as a way to produce more sequels. Curtis was firm on needing Lori to believe she had killed Michael, so she admitted that tying these two desperate strands together took some work. Michael killing Will by stabbing him in the back with a butcher knife and lifting him off the ground is strikingly similar to how he killed Nurse Jill in Halloween 2, only that time it was a scaffold. Both are killed in front of Lori. Lori teaches in class Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein and Molly, one of the students, responds to a question about the book saying, I think that Victor should have confronted the monster sooner. He's completely responsible for Elizabeth's death. He is so paralyzed by fear, he never did anything. It took death for the guy to get a clue. Jamie Lee Curtis knew that Laurie would be killing an innocent man at the end of the film, thinking it was Michael, but Laurie didn't. And it was part of her deal in returning that there could be no hint in the film itself, leaving the audience instead to believe that it was the end. It was Williamson who came up with the idea of Lori cutting off paramedic's head, unaware that Michael had switched clothes with the poor guy at some point. Per the deal, she would return for a cameo and another follow-up, make it clear that she had gone crazy, and then be killed.
Tony says to Marion Chambers regarding her smoking, hasn't anyone told you secondhand smoke kills? To which she replies, yeah, but they're all dead. Which foreshadows the deaths of Jimmy and Tony. The movie, this movie and Halloween Resurrection are the only two movies to not show Michael being shot. Uh, right before Lori decapitates Michael, this is the moment where he starts to feel the mask on his face and looks confused. This has led to many interpretations, one of which added, aided Halloween Resurrection filmmakers in bringing Michael back. Before Charlie goes up on a dumbwaiter, he says, I'll be right back, as explained in Scream, written by HTO creator um, Kevin Williamson. That's one of the things you don't say in a horror movie because you're going to get killed. So next up would be uh, Halloween Resurrection, but I'm not going to go over the trivia in that one. I'm going to go to um, Halloween 2018 instead. And before that, though, we will play uh, another clip. This one is called uh, The Strode House, and this is from Halloween 6.
So I had said previously I was going to play another music clip, but instead I ended up playing Halloween 2018, which is by John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, and David Davies uh, for Halloween 2018. So here's a little bit of trivia about that. The film's producer is Malik Akkad, who is the son of Mustafa Akkad, the producer of the original movie. Mustafa Akkad was murdered along with his daughter, Rima, who is uh, Malik's sister, and the terrorist bombings of Amman Jordan Hotel in 2005, so that's very sad. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has recounted how the first person she saw when she came to the set the first day in 2018 was Malik, who she remembers as a seven-year-old child visiting the set during production of the original film. She added that seeing Malik for the first time since his father's death immediately brought her to tears. As with the original Halloween, Michael Myers is listed in the credits, not as Michael Myers, but as The Shape. Jake Gyllenhaal helped convince Jamie Lee Curtis to reprise her role of Laurie Strode for the film. Jake Gyllenhaal is a family friend of Curtis and is dubbed by her as an unofficial godson. The role of Allison, Laurie's granddaughter, became a somewhat coveted role. Multiple popular actresses, including Lucy Hale and Emma Roberts, met with Danny McBride to personally talk about the movie. However, the studio decided they wanted to go back to the roots of the first film and cast an unknown actress similar to how Jamie Lee Curtis was cast in the original. From the original Halloween 1978 cast, only Jamie Lee Curtis, Nick Castle, and P.J. Souls returns. Souls plays a teacher as her original character Linda was killed in the first movie. Original director John Carpenter returns as executive producer and is credited for his music score, although Carpenter generally prefers not to be personally involved in sequels and remakes of his work. He usually accepts the original screenplay credit. Producer Jason Blum convinced him to take a more active role as a spiritual advisor. Carpenter and director David Gordon Green and writer Danny McBride loved their pitch of the story and contributed with several script ideas. At this point in the franchise, Michael Myers would be 61 years old. In 2017, when promoting Alien Covenant on the Empire Film Podcast, it was joked that Danny McBride would also be starring as Michael Myers due to his large build, to which McBride immediately shot down, Oh God, no, Mike's supposed to be a terrifying creeper with good posture, not Homer Simpson. Um... John Carpenter claims that this would be the last Halloween film, even though there were contractual obligations for a sequel. As of November 2019, two sequels were in development, and we already talked about those. Throughout the film, several characters talk about Cameron's dad, Lonnie, and what a troublemaker he was and continues to be. In the original Halloween, Lonnie was played by Brent LePage. He was a sixth-grade bully who constantly harassed Tommy Dole. Tommy Doyle, the boy Laura was babysitting, and he would later be scared by Dr. Loomis outside the abandoned Myers house. Jimmy Lee Curtis had immediately hit it off with co-writer and director David Gordon Green, crediting him as reminding her of the original 1978 Halloween director and suspense master John Carpenter. Um... Let's see. 
Not going to talk about sequels. Already did that. To achieve the intro of The Pumpkin Rising Back Up, director David Gordon Green revealed that it's a normal pumpkin that was placed in front of a camera over a period of several weeks until it's rotted and slumped down. The footage was then reversed and edited properly for the title sequence to give it the illusion that the pumpkin was rising on its own. So check that out on YouTube. Uh, that's fun. I thought that was a great intro and a great callback to the first movie. Actor James Jude Courtney, who plays Michael Myers, consulted with real-life killers on how to kill people to make his performance believable. Okay, I think that's a bit much, but uh, nobody asked me. The music is composed by John Carpenter, his son Cody, and his godson Daniel Davies. The three have performed, had previously collaborated on John Carpenter's Lost Themes and the Lost Themes 2 album. At 70, Nick Castle is the oldest actor to play Michael Myers. He's also the third actor to play him more than once, behind George P. Wilbur, who played him in Halloween 4, and Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers, and Tyler Maine from Halloween and Halloween 2. Of course, Michael Maine... Uh, He's much younger than that. Jamie Lee Curtis previously tied with Daniel Harris for the second most number of appearances in the Halloween films. Now that Curtis is to star in this film, she and Donald Pleasant are tied for most number of appearances. In this movie, Michael and Lori are not brother and sister because this follows only Halloween 1. After failing to deliver a new Halloween film on time, Dimension Films lost the production rights for the sequel, which reverted back to Miramax, which then joined with Blumhouse. In May 2016, a new installment was officially announced with the original co-creator, Carpenter's involvement as composer, executive producer, and creative consultant. Principal photography began 2018 in South Carolina. Um, Daniel Harris... I said in a Q&A that she wanted to be, uh, sorry the page won't load, but that she wanted to be involved uh, in some way during the series, but they were not able to add her to this movie. So maybe in the next two. Um, she, she attempted to, quote, put in a call to include the character from Halloween 4 and 5, but that didn't happen as we know. Uh, in September 29, 2009, a post-production was shut down. Yeah, let's forget that one. That one's not interesting. Lee Winnell expressed interest in playing Michael Myers. That would have been interesting. Tony Moran and Tyler Maine, the only actors to play a fully unmasked Michael Myers, were not approached to make an appearance here. This is the second horror sequel, prequel, to have the exact same title as the original, in this case Halloween 2018, which follows Halloween 1978, and of course there's also Halloween 2007, and then the other um, series would be The Thing, which is The Thing from 1982, was based on The Thing from, uh, what's another planet, I think is the original title. 
At the end of the film, after the credits, you can hear Michael Myers breathing through his mask. So obviously he's not dead. Many things that Michael did in Halloween 1978, Laurie does in the Halloween 2018 movie. Michael is shot off a balcony in the original, but upon inspection, his body disappears. In the new version, Laurie is thrown from the balcony by Michael, but when he checks for her body, she's disappeared. In the original, Michael found Laurie hiding inside a wardrobe closet. In the new version, Laurie thinks Michael is hiding inside a wardrobe closet, only he's not. Laurie also appears from the shadows behind Michael in the newer version, as Michael did to her in the original. Finally, she stands outside the school, looking from across the street, just like Michael did to her. So those are all fun callbacks. When Allison walks down the street with her friends, uh, Dave claims he has heard that Lori Strode was Michael Myers' younger sister. However, Vicki says this was made up by some people to make themselves feel better. This is a clear jab at Halloween 2, where Lori was famously revealed to be Michael's baby sister, a fact that even she was unaware of. Writer Dave... John Carpenter later admitted that he wrote the script for Halloween 2 primarily for the money and had included the family relation between Laurie and Michael simply as a plot device, something which he later regretted. Because this film ignores Halloween 2, the record is changed yet again. This is the first film in the series in which Michael kills a young child. The body count here is 19. The bus driver and guard who tells the boy to run... Um, Let's see, the boy and his father, a replay of the murder of Judith Myers from the first movie, the gas station cashier, mechanic, and two journalists in the bathroom, the old woman in the kitchen, the young woman stabbed through the throat, Vicky, Dave, Oscar, Hawkins, Dr. Sartan, and two deputies, and Ray. Of these, only Hawkins is not killed by Michael Myers. Eight of these deaths occur off-screen. Whether Michael Myers dies is debatable, as you can hear him breathing after the credits due to the announcement of the sequel. Yes, he's definitely alive. The body under the ghost sheet and pumpkin in the fish tank are nod to the murder of Linda in Halloween, who Virginia Gardner's character Vicky in this film bears similarities to. The carved Halloween pumpkin was beside the... Wallace master bed during Linda's death. After filming was complete in February 2018, the first 135 minutes long cut of the film was put together. It was later tested with audiences. Following one or more screen tests, it was decided to reshoot some parts of the movie and most of all changed the ending, mostly due to reaction of audience on the original ending. New ending was filmed in June and this is the one which ended up in the final film. According to the leaked script and test audiences report, the original ending had very different and much shorter version of the final confrontation between Michael and Lori. After she wounds him by shooting some of his fingers off and goes around the house trying to find him, they eventually end up outside the house where Lori tries to shoot him but realizes she's out of bullets, so she takes her own knife and gets into a knife fight with Michael, during which she cuts him in the arm the same way he had done to her 40 years previously. But he also manages to stab her in the chest, and as he's about to stab her again, Karen shoots him in the back with a crossbow arrow, heavily wounding him. Then while she and Allison are carrying wounded Lori away, 
While she's begging them to go back and kill him, wounded Michael goes into the woods and then ends up at a clearing near Lori's house where her mannequins are outside and sits around and sits down against a tree, heavily breathing, and it is implied in the script, possibly even finally dying a slow death. Lori finds Ray's dead body on a shelf in the closet in Halloween, drawing a parallel to when she finds Linda's body in Halloween on a closet shelf. Other deaths that are mirrored from previous films, including Dave, who is pinned to the wall with a knife, so that was similar to Bob in the first one. Kevin is choked by Michael while sitting in the back seat, similar to Annie in the first one. And Dr. Sartan's head being stomped flat by Myers, similar to Howard in um, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Dana's bathroom-style encounter with Michael Myers plays reference to Halloween H2O, in which Mother Claudia has a restroom encounter with Michael. Michael's escape leaves the bus crash. Following the bus crash leaves various criminally insane patients wandering around in the rain as a father and son happen upon the scene. The scene mirrors its predecessor in 1978. Myers escapes from Smith's Grove Sanitarium, in which he stole Nurse Marion Chambers' station wagon. This is the third time in Halloween, in a Halloween movie where Michael Myers is burned. He was burned in Halloween 2 and Halloween Resurrection. And there's a number of other Easter eggs that reference Halloween 2. I won't go into those. Uh, Ray, Allison's father, discovers the two cops who were killed off-screen by Michael in the cop car, which is similar to Halloween 5, when Tina discovers the dead bodies of deputies Nick and Tom in the cop car who were both killed off-screen by Michael with pitchfork. The total kill count, let's see, in this entire franchise is 121. Um, let's see, the first movie has the least, so first Halloween has six kills, the third Halloween has the most kills with 22, and then next, tied for second most, are Halloween 5 with 20, and Rob Zombie's first Halloween from 2007 with 20, um, yeah, so that's 121. I didn't go back and look and see how much that compares with Jason Voorhees, but that's right up there. So, why should you watch these movies? Halloween is often credited as being the first slasher movie, although technically the honor goes to Black Christmas, which we covered in the very first episode of this podcast, which came out back in 1974, four years before Halloween. However, Halloween is really credited with bringing the slasher the genre to a mainstream audience. Many of the now standard horror tropes that exist in all horror movies originated in Halloween, uh, such as the final girl, the, a killer appearing to be dead, but then again rallying in the end, the unstoppable killer, the killer calmly walking after the victim, um, etc. And I've already said it has the most iconic music of any horror film. I dare say this is probably this and probably Tubular Bells from The Exorcist are, if you ask the average person on the street, um, 
to recognize those songs, those would be the most recognized of any horror songs. So, on to recipes. I know this has been super long. I'm just going to hit this at some point. Um, so, I found a link to everything that is um, available with pumpkin spice in it. And this year in 2020, there's tons of stuff. Of course, around Halloween is most popular, but... Thanksgiving is next week, so pumpkin is still popular and on into Christmas time. Um, so I'm just going to hit the highlights of a couple of them. Um, Cheesecake Factory. Dairy Queen has um, a pumpkin, what's it called? Pumpkin cookie butter shake. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts has pumpkin flavored coffee. Uh, a couple of these places we don't have here. So I won't cover those. Fresh Market also has pumpkin spice uh, coffee. There are pumpkin brownies from Killer Brown Company. The new pumpkin donut muffins from Bittersweet um, Confections. There is Fresh Market maple pumpkin butter. Harry and David also have a two-pound New York Pumpkin Cheesecake available. Nestle Coffee has Pumpkin Spice Liquid Coffee Creamer. Um, Chobani has Pumpkin and Spice Blended Low-Fat Pumpkin Greek Yogurt. Haven't tried that. Um, there are Jet Puff Pumpkin Spice Marshmallows. Kit Kat also has a Pumpkin Spice Kit Kat. Krispy Kreme has a number of Pumpkin Spice Donuts. Kroger. Also selling pumpkin spice hard seltzer. Um, and you get the idea of Pillsbury ready to bake pumpkin spice sugar cookies. So you get the idea. I'll include the link. But even as of, you know, like probably five years ago, I mean, the amount of pumpkin items on the market has just exploded. So I guess people are liking them. So let's see where to find us. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating. If you like what you're hearing, we need all the help we can get. We're also on Twitter at Food and Fright. Contact us by email at foodandfright at gmail.com or check us out on our website at foodandfrighteningfilmfanatics.podbean.com and we'll meet you in here next week for... A different franchise uh, I can guarantee it will not be as long as this one because the ones that are really long that have like 11 plus films are really rough to do so uh, not that they're not worth it because I love Halloween but um, it's just a lot of um, info to go over so have a great week have a great Thanksgiving and we'll talk to you later bye